Good morning. Got a couple quick announcements that I want to go over before we get started. Teachers, if you are a teacher or interested in being a teacher, whether it be for any age group, I'd like to talk to you real quick. Now, if you are on the board, this does not concern you. This is just me getting an idea of who might be interested in teaching and filling that role as we move forward. So if you're on the board meeting, if you're on a board, though, you're going to have a meeting right after this in the teen room, so don't worry about attending that. Just go straight to that board meeting. But if you have any interest in teaching, stick around in the sanctuary right after the service, and I just want to see who's here that might fill that role. All right? Uh, I want to remind you that if you'd like to give, you can give towards the sound committee. We are looking to continue our live streaming, and that's going to cost about $3,000. We need a laptop, a video camera. We're borrowing those right now, and we do not want to borrow those and break those. So if you would like to give towards that, we need a little bit over $3,000, and that would be much appreciated. Um, that's it for the announcements. Are you, are you still connecting to the True Vine? That's my question for you. That, that has to be a question that we ask ourselves every day. Are you connecting to the True Vine, not the fake vine, to the True Vine, to Jesus Christ? Are you doing the things that stir your heart towards Him? Are you cutting out the things that pull away from that. That's what we need to ask ourselves. All right, would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the ability to come and worship together. Lord, we give you all praise and honor. Father, I pray that you'd just be with the praise team and use them to start to begin to soften our hearts, to draw our attention towards you. Father, I pray that our worship would be honest and true and uh, would make you happy. Lord, help us to, to remember all the things that you've done for us and give you praise for those things. Lord, I pray if there's anything on, on somebody's heart, we pray that they would be able to lay that down at your feet and entrust that to you and have the confidence to know that they are giving that to a God who loves them, who wants what's best for them, who knows what they're going through, and who is moving in those situations. Lord, we pray through that you would speak through your word today. We pray that it would ring loud and clear in our minds, in our hearts, and we pray that it would transform us to look more like you. Lord, we love you and we honor you. In your name we pray. Amen.
singing that song for 20 years. 99, wow. I hope that is our, our call, that it is all about Him, and that we remember that. Adrian, would you come up here? This surprise. So, I just wanted to kind of tell people what's, what's going on and, and everything like that, but uh, I've been talking to Adria for a little bit. And uh, um, Adria is feeling called. And so we are going to be exploring that call 
praying about that. But the reason I brought her up here is because we need your prayers for this. Um, when you're called, sometimes it is kind of like you're not sure what's going on and where God is leading. So it can be a scary time, an exciting time, uh, and a time where you just really need to turn and focus in on God. So I want to ask you all to pray for Adria um, and her family as they go through this time and, and pray for God's will to be done and, and uh, that God would use uh, Adria in a, in a mighty, mighty way, right? So I'm excited. Church has not stopped, right? We are continuing on. We are, God is still calling people. And I'm, and I'm, I'm wondering, who is God calling else? Where is God calling you? Is it to be a teacher? Is it to, be, to start some, some ministry? Where is that? Pray and seek him. Seek him during this time. We're not, we're not stopped right now. We're moving forward, right? So pray for that. All right, I want to pray for you. And join me, all right? Father, we just thank you for Adria. Lord, we thank you for her willingness to answer the call. Father, I pray that you would clarify that and you would direct her path. Lord, may she just use this time right now to focus in on you, draw closer to you, and allow you to speak to her. Lord, I pray that um, you would just be with her and her family, that you would give them peace about this and guidance. Lord, I pray that you would use her mightily to whatever that you call her to. Father, I pray that she would not look to her, her gifts, but instead look to the grace that's been put on her life to answer this call. Lord, we know that you are the one that equips. And we pray that you would just do that. Lord, we love you and give you all praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Of course. Shrinking. Awesome. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Anybody else? I don't want to, I didn't want to cut you off or prevent that. We always we always have time for praises, right? All right. Oh, Mike. Awesome. Hmm. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Yeah. Betty, definitely. Absolutely. Um, I, I guess I forgot about a praise request. The, the, uh, fire personnel person that we were praying for that was on a vent is off the vent and doing much better. So praise God, right? Yeah. Hmm. God is good, right? All right, Matthew chapter 5, would you stand? Let's honor God's word. 
right? The living Word of God that speaks to our hearts, that transforms us. Let's give him all the honor that is due. Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will seek God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. Lord, help us to have soft hearts. Help our eyes and ears to be open for what you want to reveal to us. Lord, that's what we want. We only want to hear from you. Father, I pray that you would speak to every person in here individually. Pray that your word would impart on their lives. Father, I pray that we would be the church that brings you glory, that reveals you to a world that is in darkness. Lord, I pray for these prayer requests that were mentioned. Father, we just give these situations to you and ask you to move in them. Let your will be done, Father, and call us to be a part of it. Lord, we praise you and we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So this passage that I read is is pretty famous, referred to the Sermon of the Mount. I'm sure you all are aware of that. And what we're going to be talking about today, though, is a core value, a core understanding of what church is about. And this passage has to shape us and give us a vision of what it really means to be a church of, of Jesus Christ. We believe that the gospel is presented to the world through community. We also believe that the church is called to be countercultural and different. And what we have to realize that is when we are a part of a gospel-centered church, this community will 
attract people, and it will also attract hostility. That means that the church can be both appealing to the world, right, and also cause hatred from the world. And this will be a little bit more clear as we go through it. But we have to understand that. We're going to start with verse 14. Verse 14, Jesus is talking and says, You are the light of the world. And then compares them to a city on a hill. It seems like Jesus shifts from two different metaphors and kind of goes in two different directions. But this is really one consistent thought. In this time period, if a city was on a hill or elevated even just a little bit, its torches, its lamps, its fires would be seen through the darkness for miles and miles. I'm always amazed when I come to Willard at night and see those lights atop of the Star of the West Towers. I remember when they first came in and I was driving into Willard and I was like, what is that? What is that ahead? Well, it's because we live in a rural community. There are not a lot of distracting lights or competing lights, and it's elevated. It's the same way as a city that's set on a hill. Now, understand, when the Bible talks about light, it's usually talking about truth. Light exposes things, right? Exposes things for what they are. When the Bible talks about the light of the world, it's talking about God showing the world the truth about who He is. Now, the ultimate light of the world, as He Himself said, is Jesus Christ. Right? He is the, as in the Ohio State, He is the light of the world. The ultimate way that God showed the world the truth of who He is. Right? The other main way that God shows the world who He is is through community. Through Christians in community, through the church. Now, what is so important about being in a community, in a church? The majority of Christians in America do not believe community or church is important. It's 80% say you don't have to go to church. It's not necessary. There's probably many in here that believe that as well. But you are the light of the world is speaking to you collectively. Individually, you can't be the light of the world because you simply can't be a city on a hill. That's when we come together and that's when God is revealed. You bring light into the world as a community. Why? Well, what is the gospel about? At the base, it's about healing relationships. One relationship to start right. First, it's about healing our relationship with God, having that restored But then from there on out, other relationships are healed through that first healing. You think about a solar system. A solar system has one star, and all the planets orbit that one star. They have one center. They all agree on one center, the sun. And because of that, all the orbits are in harmony. But what would happen if every planet insisted that they were the center, and they wanted everyone to orbit around them. We know that we would have chaos. It would be disastrous. The default mode of every human heart, 
we know is the same as that. Everyone instinctively is to say, me first, right? That is our default programming, me first. If you go into a marriage, probably the most intense type of community, marriage. If you go into marriage and both people are saying to the other person, you first, I'm going to put your needs ahead of my own, you're probably going to have a great relationship, right? But if one person, if just one person or both people say, me first and have that attitude, it's going to be like a cancer. And it will destroy that marriage and cause issues. Now, the me first impulse, we all know, it's just natural. If you've ever raised children, you know that you don't have to teach children to say me first. As a parent, instead, we try to teach it out of them. We actually try to get them to hide it, to suppress it. Hey, don't act that way, right? Share, be nice. That's what we say. The truth is, though, we can never get rid of the me first nature unless something radical happens. And this is why the gospel starts with repentance and faith. It must be made of both of those. You can only become a Christian through repentance and faith. Repentance is coming to the knowledge and admitting that your whole life is really about me first. Repentance is not about, oh, I've done bad things. Everybody recognizes that. Everybody acknowledges that they have done bad things. That doesn't change your life, though. That doesn't connect you to God. Repentance is saying all that self-centeredness, all that self-absorption, all that self-righteousness, that me first has just permeated every area of my life. It's not just the bad deeds, right? It's the good deeds as well. Have you ever done something hoping that somebody would acknowledge that and give you praise? Oh, look at what I did. Look at what I gave. Look at how I sacrificed. Praise me. People think there are good people in the world because they do good things, but those good things are often all about me first. In repentance, you recognize that even the good deeds are not good. So, Christianity starts with realizing my big problem is me first. You admit you need saved, you need salvation, and then this is where faith comes in. Faith sees what Jesus Christ did. He gave himself for me, opposite, complete opposite of me first. And he loves me, and he died for me. And you accept that, and you put all of your trust in that to save you. That's how salvation comes. So repentance comes together with faith and really makes you ashamed of being self-centered, and it frees you from it. That me first is a cancer that repentance and faith puts into remission. When you become a Christian, it, it gives me first a death blow. When me first is taken away, it enables Christians to create and be in a part of a community that is countercultural, that is completely different. 
is the kind of community that makes you want to cross barriers that typically divide other people. Racial barriers, cultural barriers, political barriers, financial barriers. That is why God uses the metaphor of a city. As a church, we're not a club. We're not a group. A club or a group is just focused in on one thing that we have in common. Maybe it's a tennis club or a sports club, a video gaming group, a stamp club, a car club. All of these have one thing in common, but not necessarily anything else. Not necessarily anything, at least, that will transform your life, your entire life. Living in a city, though, changes everything because the gospel changes everything, every part of you. This whole Sermon on the Mount is about people who live counter to the culture. Countercultural in that they act completely different than the way that everyone else acts around them. Through this sermon, as you look at the rest of the sermon, you will often see it says, Jesus, Jesus will say, you've heard it said this way, but I tell you this. Which means you've been taught this way, but I'm teaching you a completely different way a better way. It's counter to culture. And it only works if me first has been dealt that death blow by the gospel. Amen? When me first is dead, it totally changes how you relate to people. It makes you forgiving. Right? It makes you loving towards your enemy. It totally changes the way that you look at sex, at power, at money. Instead of sex, money, and power being focused on fulfilling yourself, it instead becomes about giving of yourself in the creation of a deep, loving community. Now, one of those things should be in a, in a very small community. You should use that, right? In the community of marriage, and only marriage. radically different, though, than the way the world sees these things, right? Gospel creates a radically different community that changes the way that you look at everything, how you relate to the poor, how you work, how you go into your job, how you, your attitude towards your job, how you treat people different than you. And, and here's an important takeaway. It's only when you're a part of a community with people like that that people really start to see God well. That's the whole point of the Jewish nation. And that's the whole point of the church today. It's the gospel lived out in community that reveals God to the world. Are we as a church committed to being salt and light? Some of you still might not be buying the community part, the importance of community. You who you are, though, are a product of community. How you were treated growing up in your family has a massive impact on who you are. The culture in which you grew up, what was taught, what was valued, what was not valued has a huge impact on who you are. In the branch life, we pointed out that we were taught as Americans to value productivity, to put great importance on that. And that weighs in how we see God and our importance with God. Who your father was, good or bad, right, impacts how you see your heavenly father. 
So what is one big way that God changes your life? Shapes your life. It's through community. It's through the church. He wants you to be a part of that community that is shaped by the gospel. That lives countercultural. We are social beings. If we are all living in a countercultural community that is loving our enemies, don't you think you'll take that on as well? Being a part of that community. We all know that we become the people that we like the people that we hang out with the most. It's crazy to think that you'll be changed by yourself without community, without a church. It's crazy to think that that will happen from one hour a week spending with other people. Are you seeing the importance of church? Are you seeing the importance of what church really needs and how it needs to go beyond just being one hour a week? I think that's why small groups are are really needed and something that we really need to focus on. We need to do life together. We need to be a part of that small group where we can share, this is what I'm struggling with, where we can encourage each other. Let's live for Christ. Let's do this ministry together. Let's sacrifice together. Small churches is where it happens. Small groups. Here's the thing. I don't think there are a lot of communities, churches, out there living out the gospel, being countercultural. I'm not even sure we are. That's just an honest evaluation. I think there are a bunch of clubs, but not really many living out the gospel. And people aren't drawn to superficial clubs. What would happen if we had a bunch of churches, though, truly living out the gospel? Let me ask you about this church or a church in general. Would you rather go to a church that has an awesome, beautiful building or one that is working out of an ugly building that is having a huge impact on the culture, on the community? But yet, what gets the most attention? Is it looks? I think we've got to check our priorities. I, don't, I think if we're a gospel church, a countercultural church, I don't think we'll ever have to worry about or ask, how do we attract people to come here? You think? There's no way. Well, there are two things in this passage that we can look at. When we do, we're going to notice that if we're a part of a real gospel, grace-filled community, it will, as we said in the very beginning, evoke hostility and attraction from the outside world. We see this in light. If we are light, light is attractive, right? Verse 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Good works are more than just being nice. They are good deeds of mercy and justice. This is sacrificing to help someone. It's generosity. It's being there for people and involving yourselves in other people's lives. It's meeting people's needs at at your own expense. That is what it means to let your light shine before men. And it's attractive. Isn't it? 
The world's desperate to see a group of people committed to this way of life. There's another side to light, though. Light also exposes, it shows what's hidden, and people don't like that. Sometimes people want to stay in the dark. And so, yes, light is attractive, but it also is something that angers people. Jesus also used the metaphor of salt, and I'm sure you've heard this metaphor explained 20 million times. You are the salt of the earth, though. Salt is positive because it's a preservative. People would use salt to preserve their meat. They would cover their meat with salt because it kills or it slows down all the organisms and bacteria that make meat decay. And we're called to be the salt of the earth. Have you ever noticed that no matter what relationship it is, it always blows up at one time or another? Maybe with your spouse. There are times that I will start joking with my wife and somehow it turns into something that I did not intend it to be. Family, friends, people at work, they all seem to blow up and go into conflict. You don't understand me. You don't appreciate me. You've wronged me. People are always getting angry and bitter. For Christians to be salt, though, means we don't do that. Right? We go into the workplace, we go into our families, and we aren't turf conscious. We don't keep records of wrong. We overlook the slight. We're the ones that aren't irritable. We aren't the ones that are like, oh, well, I'm not getting mine what I deserve, and so I'm going to go off on somebody. No, we're salt. We preserve. We're called to be the things that keep relationships going. Anybody convicted besides me? We're supposed to be salt in relationships, also in society. We should be about preventing spiritual decay and disease. That means we stand for justice. That means we stand for biblical truth, even when it's not popular. In ancient times, people would put salt in a wound because as we talked about with meat, it prevents that bacteria and it prevents that spread. But what happens when you put a salt, put salt in a wound? It stings. It hurts. It's not popular. Both salt and light are attractive, but they're also things that people try to avoid. And if we're a church that is salt and light, we should expect the same thing. Back to verse 16, let your, sh- let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Right? If we collectively do this, what's the result? God's going to be glorified. It should bring glory to the Father. If we are being salt in life, then some people are going to be attracted to it. They'll want to know why we are this way. Why we act this way. Tell me about your Father. At the same time, though, verse 11, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Notice it doesn't say if people insult you. It says when you're going to be insulted. Sometimes people 
insurance churches aren't very salty or aren't salt and light because they don't want to create waves. They don't want to offend people. We can't be that way. We have to understand. We will have people come against us if we are salt and light. Notice the end of that verse. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Why? Because of me. We need to make sure that if people are insulting us, it's because of Jesus, right? 1 Peter 4.15 says, Make sure you suffer for Jesus' sake and not because you are a meddler. There are Christians that love to meddle. I may be one. Love to tell people how to live their lives, point out people's faults and failings. And when people get on them, they're like, oh, well, I'm just suffering for Jesus. I'm just persecuted for Jesus. Well, no, you're being insulted because you're obnoxious, right? It's not blessed are people, are you people, when, I'm sorry, it's not blessed are you when people insult you because of you, right? It has to involve Jesus. Love needs to be the motivation behind everything that we do. So, we should be willing to identify as Christians and shouldn't get all bent out of shape when people start insulting us. It's part of the calling. We shouldn't let pride and self-righteousness make us go looking for trouble on Facebook. That doesn't lead anywhere good. We need to let go of our egos and make it about truth and love. Verse 15, we can't hide our light under a basket. It does no good there. Unfortunately, this is probably where many of us are at. What good is salt if it loses its saltiness? It has no good. It's just thrown away. Church, we have a calling. We have a responsibility to speak truth. We can't hide because we're worried about somebody's going to insult us because of Jesus. If nobody's knocking you for your faith, are you being salt and light? So how do you get to the place where you aren't afraid to speak? Where you're willing to be salt and light, take the insults. How do you get to that place where you, you're not a meddler, though? really comes to the first 12 verses that we read. Here's the answer. You have to be blessed. You have to be blessed. The first 12 verses are called the Beatitudes, where Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle or the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied, etc. Down to blessed are people when they insult you because of me. What does blessed mean? We, we don't use that word too much in our culture today. Some people would look at that and translate that happy. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are the meek. But that's not the best translation. Old Testament, New Testament scholars 
who really understand this, say that probably a better translation is the word successful. A better translation for the word blessed is successful. People who were called blessed were considered to be successful. These are people that have lived so well that their lives are envied and emulated. They're role models. Now, when we read the Beatitudes with this idea of successful in mind, it it doesn't make sense to me. It makes more sense to say things like, blessed are the strong, right? Because they will inherit the earth. It doesn't make much sense to me to say, blessed are the meek. It makes more sense to say, blessed are the popular, for they'll be rewarded. Persecuted don't get a reward. Blessed are the rich. That makes a lot more sense than blessed are the poor. So how in the world do these Beatitudes make any sense? Well, it's simply because when Jesus came into this world, he changed the definition of successful. He flipped it on its head. If we measure success by the world's standards, we'll miss it. We'll never be the church that he's calling us to be. And when, what we need to do is realize that the Beatitudes, before they ever point to us, they point to Jesus. Right? Think about this. Why is it someday followers of Jesus Christ will be rich? It's because he became poor. Why will we be comforted? Because he wept. He grieved. He died in the darkness. Why will you and I inherit the earth? Because he was meek. He came as a sheep, right? And died for us. Could you imagine if Jesus would have come rich, laughing, popular, and powerful? If he did that, he would have never taken our curse. He would have not had anything to do with sinners. He surely wouldn't have died for us. No, he left heaven and came. He humbled himself. He became poor so that we could be rich. And I'm not talking about money, right? He became emptied so that we could be made full. Would you stand with me? My friends, we are called to be salt and light. Called to be a city set on a hill. How do we do that? We do that together as a church. We encourage each other. We stand with each other. We challenge each other. We sacrifice with each other. We pick each other up. And we encourage each other to live out the gospel. To live counterculturally. And we do all of this by fixing our eyes on Jesus. You see, when I see my Lord and Savior being persecuted for me, when I look at the cross, then I'm willing to be persecuted. When I understand what my Savior did and how he loved, then I'm willing to do that too. When I see my Savior pouring himself out as salt and light, pouring himself out for other people, pouring himself out for people who despised him, who hated him, who mocked him, 
then that makes me want to do the same thing. Why? Because when I keep my eyes on him, it puts to death the me first attitude. church we're called to be salt and light collectively as a church to a world in darkness can we be a city on a hill only if we keep our eyes on him only if we do it together as a part of his community let's pray father we thank you for today Lord, I pray that you would call this church to be a gospel-centered church a church that is burdened burdened for the lost, a church that is willing to sacrifice, a church that is not filled with all the things of this world, but instead has put to death all those things. Lord, help us to be focused in on you. Help us to look at the cross and in view of God's mercy, offer our bodies as living sacrifices in worship, Lord change us, transform us, convict us, discipline us. Lord, do whatever it takes. Lord, don't let us just sit here and be a club, though. Help us to be salt and light. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You are dismissed.